We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Eggman is intercepted by Sam Mills. Steve Smith is going to go all the way. Panthers win in overtime. He steps up, throws for the end zone. Olsen, touchdown. We are back for another edition, a daily edition of the Roar Podcast right here on Blue Wire. John Ellis is my name. How we doing out there, campers? Anybody go camping today out here in the brisk 92 degree thick heat of uh, Spartanburg County? Woo boy. Got a little break with the weather on Monday. Things were nice. I told Ellis Williams, our good friend, you know, hey, your first camp down here. Maybe it'll be like this all week. Uh Uh-uh. No, no. Back to high humidity. Anyway, it was an interesting day here. Live from Wofford College. My name is John Ellis, by the way. One half of the duo that brings you the Roar Podcast each week. Billy Marshall is at an undisclosed overseas tropical, it looks like, location. Living his best life, as he told me, miles away from the Panthers' chaos. But Billy loves it. He'll be back coming up in a few days, and we'll reconvene and have a little powwow about what we have seen so far in the few days I've been there at Panthers' camp and going back to last week, of course, some other activity. But now it's been pads week this week. Today was day two of the team practicing in pads. And it was, you know, one of these days where the weather was, again, we tease you about the heat there, but it was impeccable. No conditions in terms of rain. Uh, Fuel conditions were fine. And we saw some things. I guess we can start with the quarterback position because I think that's what everybody wants to talk about. I've got some other things I'd like to look at, too. But quarterback was sort of a storyline today because we saw some things that were, if not revealing, at least a little bit entertaining. We talked with our good friend Ellis Williams, again, one of the better reporters that covers this team. For the Charlotte Observer, you can find him at Book of Ellis on Twitter. Ellis was on our Fox Sports Upstage show yesterday on iHeartRadio. And we had talked about sort of the distribution of reps moving forward. And fortuitously, we saw today a couple of things that 
perhaps could provide some sense of clarity on that. Because thus far, I think the camp has been structured in a very effective way. Now, there's been some folks, I think, that are a little concerned about what's going on on the offensive line. Why is Aquanu not full-time left tackle? What are we doing with Christensen? I believe Michael Jordan getting reps on the interior line has some people concerned. Uh, And I hear it. Look, it's been a mess here over the past few years. I I think this team is constructed depth-wise on the line where they're just trying a few things out, get some early reps for a guy like Jordan. If you need to rely on him later in the year, I do not believe Michael Jordan from North Carolina will be starting. I'm sorry for that. That was so bad. (laughs) I don't think for a second Michael Jordan will be, unless pressed into it by injury, starting games on the interior portion of this line again. And that's no knock on Michael Jordan. He's a reserve. It's where he belongs. It's where his acumen is. He could be a role player, special teams, maybe a swing tackle if they need it. But we saw Ike Aquanu back with the ones today at left tackle. So, again, you're going to see some of this movement in terms of where the offensive line shifts. Uh, Taylor Moten is the rocket right tackle. Nothing is changing there, obviously. And when you look at what went down today in Spartanburg, I got a little bit of a better look today being there for the full practice. And a disclaimer, by the way, because I know it's been different than in years past. I I just want to be very transparent here. We have been instructed by the team. and, And when I say we, I mean me and the rest of the folks that cover the team for with press credentials and whatnot in mind. I'm, I'm waiting on mine for a couple of days here. Ah. And just for clarity here, the team has a policy this year of which I've spoken to a couple of people who may know why the policy's in place, but I'm not going to spill the beans on that because it's hilarious, actually, and it's speculation. But the policy is as such, if you're with the press or you're planning to be with the press at some point in the press credential pool throughout camp, which is, hello, that's me, you cannot film practice. Okay, that's obvious. That's been that way for a while now. Can't really photograph, still photograph on practice. You know, you know, get Mayfield throwing it up or maybe Higgins leaping catch. You can't get any photographs like that. You can in certain pockets. They give you permission during, you know, warm-ups, non-essential, I think, activities. They, they basically will tell you, the PR folks, okay, you can tweet stuff now. You can, long story short, that's why I've been off Twitter during practice. So I took a different approach here the last two days. Got a beautiful old, as they call in the world of journalism, a stenopad. Look it up, kids. Stenopad. Yeah, see, that's what we used in my day. J. Jonah Jameson over here. Uh, I channeled my inner journalist here from my old days and said, you know what, let's just put the phone off during practice because my problem is I'm a one-man band. For years, I was able to take my Sony Alpha A600 mirrorless, beautiful camera, And before this became an issue, because the second component, by the way, of this is there are now people that are, and nice people, by the way, not jerks, people that have been contracted by the team, presumably to instruct fans on the perimeter of the fence when practice is going, put your cell phones away. Because presumably the phones are out to film practice. And 
I would imagine about 1% of those people are just planning to keep it on their phones locally. Those things are going on Insta, TikTok. I mean, I've seen a few, and I, you know, hats off to you. Uh, I'm not in a position to challenge that authority right now. I've got too much uh, important stuff going on. And uh, so I, I'm sorry that I can't give you the 2019, even last year, the 2021 sort of flavor in terms of chronicling it through some good photography and some, you know, slow motion videos. It sucks, but it's the policy, and so we move forward. Anyway, on that note, let's move on to what we were getting to initially, which is the quarterback position. Some things happened today that not only raised some eyebrows from, I, I would assume, a few people within the group that is covering this team day to day, but it raised some decibel levels in the crowd. And as you know, it's been a minute since you've had these type of good crowds here at Wofford. Uh, Cam Newton was an attraction. Luke Keekley, Thomas Davis, Josh Norman. You know, you had guys who had true star power, and some of these guys were local stars like a Norman who had a lot of attention uh, given to him in his time here during his star years. And not to mention, you know, K1 Short, uh, Mario Addison, that team had so much star power in, in the sense that maybe they're not all stars, but collectively, it was a fun, dynamic group. You know, Ryan Khalil, Greg Olson. So what you've got here is the Mayfield effect. And again, I, I want to be very clear. I came into this camp almost trying to scrub out of my eyes and ears, mostly eyes, any type of tape I've seen from both Baker Mayfield and his counterpart, the first or second string quarterback, depending on your perspective, one Sam Darnold. Because what you do there, you, you, you taint your evaluation if you come in and say, you know what, okay, I've seen four really bad years of tape on Sam. Uh, ho-hum, okay, the footwork looks like crap. No, no, no. You, you can't get too analytical on that side. Every year is new. Now, the challenge is hard after four years to fix the very obvious things that have plagued Sam. Now, when I'm looking at Darnold during practice today, when I'm watching him go through his reps with the number two group here, as Baker got reps with the ones today, and hats off to Ellis Williams, who, as I was trying to keep up, he did a hell of a job chronicling the unofficial numbers for both quarterbacks and even Corral. You can find it at charlotteobserver.com or at Book of Ellis, but I'm going to read to you what Ellis Williams chronicled here from a statistical perspective, and then I'll give you my perspective on what I saw from just, I guess, a scouting eye from Sam and these other quarterbacks. So Ellis Williams had Sam down today unofficially, 17 of 26, two touchdown passes, one interception. And just paraphrasing here from Williams' article on charlotte.com, charlotteobserver.com, Darnold begins practice completing nine of his first 11 throws, drills a deep end route to Marshall during seven on seven. That was a nice throw, by the way, a little dig. Picked up another first down, next play, and I saw this one. It was a nice out route on the boundary to Rashawn Henry. He's a UDFA. I believe he wears number 13 in your program there. And Henry made a nice play there on the boundary. A guy that will probably not make the team, but it's 6'3", 190 from Virginia. You know, it's a guy you never know could hit the practice squad. Darnold had some good moments. Had some good moments. You're going against the second defense now. So no Burns and no Shaq Thompson. You had some of the corners that uh, 
work their way out of the mix. He did throw a, a, a really, and it was right in the direction of where Ellis and, and some of you know my friends, Nick Carboni and others were standing. I, I don't think it was a Hail Mary drill, although they did one of those later where people were gasping, saying, what are you doing? Well, it was by design. It's sort of a tip Hail Mary drill. This throw was a sort of a high floater back of the end zone. It was intended, I believe, for Terrace Marshall. Was not in a position to really get his hands on the ball. He was well covered. Stanley Thomas Oliver, the second-year kid, number 23, who I like a lot, tipped the ball. And then Kenny uh, Robinson, who, again, we, we talk about the big four. We talk about C.J. Henderson, J.C. Horn, uh, Hartfield, I put Hartsfield, I should say, I put in that mix too because he is probably going to be the full time nickel, I would imagine, in this defense. And then again, you you've got some really good guys, and then Dante Jackson. We can't forget a fast group, athletic group, and then you have guys like Stanley Thomas Oliver and Kenny Robinson, who have seen some playing time now, and are sort of CB five, CB six. Keith Taylor, who was out of practice today. Big physical guy. They're really good at corner right now. They're deep. But Stanley Thomas Oliver tipped this Darnold pass that was ill-advised. Great pick by Robinson off the carom. And, um, you know, Darnold missed some throws too. Uh, As Ellis Williams chronicles, and I agree with him on this, the best throw he had all day was Brandon Zilstra. Short touchdown from Darnold. It was a little slant route, a little red zone action. Did a good job in terms of processing there. So, People have been asking me all day, who has the upper hand? Is he running away with it? Is Baker? Sam is not looking like crap. It's not a matter of, and and, and trust me, I have covered camp here for enough years to know occasionally you waltz in, and this is no knock on any one quarterback, but I think some of you might know who I'm talking about. You get some guys coming in on their first year into camp, uh, or even second year, but I'm talking about one guy in particular lately, and their camp performance is just, it's palpably substandard. A- and you don't get that sense from Darnold. You certainly don't get it from Corral based on the limited reps with the ones, but Corral's first on the field. He's, you know, a great physical type of specimen in terms of the footwork, the alignment with the eyes, very clean release and a very accurate thrower of the football, and a guy who's eager to learn. And with Mayfield, who we're going to get to now, and once again, courtesy of Ellis Williams, CharlotteObserver.com, I had a chance to watch Mayfield a good bit today, but I didn't track his unofficial stats, and that's why we love Ellis Williams, man. He's a stat nerd. 13-24. to 24. Okay. Panic time. Ah! That's almost 50%, John. Two touchdowns, one interception. The interception, by the way, was a hell of a play by Frankie uh, Lavu, who is uh, primarily on the edge rushing rotation there with Yatur Gross Matos, who, by the way, got dinged up today. We don't think it's serious. Lavu, and you can find the clip as you can find all the clips from this training camp at the official website and Twitter feed of the team itself, Panthers.com and at Panthers. Uh, that's where you're going to find videos. Uh, LeVu made a nice leaping play. Now, from this angle, once again, when I don't have the the luxury of seeing every angle, they're on the far side of the group of fields there. If you go up on the hill at Walford, you can barely see 
what's going on. I need some binoculars, maybe. Can't film it. It's prohibited. Did that before. For my own use, I'd go home and I'd kind of be able to size up what happened, give you analysis. So right now, you're about 75 yards away in the end zone, looking down the field at the team practicing towards you. So what I saw with Mayfield that I did not love was this interception to LeVu, but I don't think it was a fatal error. The angle I saw, he's trying to sneak one in. He's going to, you know, roll the dice at times. LeVu made a great play on it. There was another one he threw in the red zone where Corey Littleton, of all people, number 55 in your program, got in and nearly intercepted one uh, near the goal line, made a nice pass breakup on that front. Steven Sullivan, who drew some immense praise from his coach, Matt Rule, Kid from LSU, he's 6'4". Apparently, Matt had talked about he runs a 440, quote, he can jump out of the gym. Uh, Sullivan could be a guy that, even though you've paid Ian Thomas considerable money here and you just drafted Tommy Tremble, you know, I'm not, I don't think anything poorly of Colin Thompson. He's a good dude, and, you know, we've interacted before, and he's, you know, solid tied in. But I think you have to start looking at, okay, what are you going to do at the tight end position. And I do think at 6'5", by the way, 245, as someone mentioned on Twitter, he's a beast on Madden. Well, that that gets my attention. Uh, I think that's maybe somebody they, they hold on to. You got Colin Thompson, of course, Tommy Trimble, and that tight end group, Ian Thomas as well. Uh, so the tight end battle, it's not really a battle right now. I mean, you're seeing Ian, he had a touchdown today. Uh, Colin has, has made some plays. I know that you're going to have a lot of people that sort of go into this season expecting very little production from the tight end group. I think one of these guys might emerge. I think it might be, you know, Ian, in terms of, you know, the complete run block game. But keep an eye on number 84, Stephen Sullivan. Great size and good hands and caught him a touchdown pass today in uh, the practice on Tuesday. Baker Mayfield, once again, uh, he did throw that interception. The touchdown, though, and uh, I retweeted this. Uh, once again, the good folks at the Panthers digital team got a good video of it, although I wish, just letting you know, get a better perspective maybe of pre-snap what happened so we can see, because from my angle, I was about, again, 70 yards right behind that goalpost looking down towards the offense coming our direction. And as I looked up, it looked like there was some type of pulling action, power action with the line on play action fake. So I love that if that was the case. Again, it could have just been a little bit of sprint protection there, but I think it was sort of a design play action power deep shot. Uh, This is something that will serve this team well if they establish the run early because Mayfield coming from a system that, you know, established the run early and often – they would run a lot of these uh, two kind of maybe one at times man concepts, max protection. I don't know how many guys were in the route here. I know Robbie Anderson was. And the advantage there is if you're running sort of a power scheme, fake concept off a of play action, great footwork by Mayfield, got set, uncorked a ball that came right to us. And the fan reaction was fantastic. And I have not seen, and I'm not using hyperbole here, I haven't seen a play that inspired me as much in a camp session as that throw, which I would imagine it was 40-plus air yards, maybe a little more. Pocket was 
crystal clean from what I could tell, which is also encouraging. And you've got Anderson just doing Anderson things, running right by coverage. And it's good coverage. They're tight. But the ball was so well-timed in place. And I had this conversation with Jim Zoki today, Panthers Radio Network, who, I, you know, Jim could tell you most of everything you need to know about Panthers football. And I asked him, I said, you know, Zook, remember Jake DeLome? And for all the things Jake might not have done well, Jake had a propensity when it was a vertical shot to get the ball out of the hand with urgency and good timing. And this is something we have not seen from Darnold. And certainly Bridgewater at times would throw what I call helium balls. They'd be late. They would float. And and DJ, man, he probably missed out on about 500 yards. As efficient as Teddy was, boy, the deep ball was just like timid as hell. Mayfield just set his feet uncorked. The ball was in stride. It was very encouraging. Now, does that define this camp? No, it does not. Did Sam make some good plays? Absolutely. Did Baker have a perfect practice? No, but it is practice. McCaffrey was in the mix with Baker as well. DJ Moore caught uh, a pass. And and DJ, again, I, I think what you're going to continue to see is limited reps moving forward. He and McCaffrey feel like they're going to be in the bubble wrap committee. I mean, it's probably wise. These are two of your best playmakers that uh, each of these quarterbacks are going to be heavily reliant upon. C.J. Saunders, look, we talked with Ellis Williams yesterday. C.J.'s fighting hard to win that slot position. It's tight doings. I mean, Rashard Higgins, we, we talked about the connections he's had with Mayfield. Just a little lesson, too, in case you don't really understand this, and it's very basic – don't microanalyze every single practice. If you if you see Higgins had two touchdowns one day and then he doesn't catch a pass, it's okay. Uh, same would be for Terrace Marshall, who, to me, they keep using him in spots that encourage me in the slot in particular, the power slot type position, good size, good matchups. Just got to see how this thing goes. Got to see how this wide receiver group shakes out. But the quarterbacks... That was pretty much it in terms of that. You you saw some things, again, from the rookie, Matt Corral. And look, P.J. Walker, I'm not trying to be an afterthought guy on P.J., but I think we're in a situation where P.J. is going to have to work damn hard and it's going to have to be kind of a miracle for him to make this team just simply because for his track record is rife with turnovers. He's had some nice moments. Darnold is the $18 million albatross in terms of the quarterback contract that they cannot afford to get rid of unless they trade him and nobody wants to do that if you cut him you lose 18 million on the books if you keep him more than likely unless corral does not understand McAdoo's fairly elementary concepts by week six i would imagine darnold eventually becomes the number three quarterback can't worry about that right now but I would start to keep an eye on tomorrow a couple things with the quarterbacks. Number one, Matt Rule did say, as we mentioned, it's going to be a mix between Sam and obviously Baker Mayfield in terms of working with the first team unit. And again, for all the things we might say about Matt, the shortcomings here and there, I'm a fan of how he conducts the camp in terms of utilization. I think it's smart. You had one padded practice where you gave Darnold some one reps Was that necessary? I don't think so. 
but they might see something I don't. I'm trying real hard to give these guys some more benefit of the doubt. Sam got his day with the ones. Baker's going to have his day today. In fact, he already did. And then tomorrow, according to Matt Rule, there's going to be a, quote, mix of reps. Now he's at 50-50. I don't know. Uh, Corral, I didn't hear Matt mention if he's going to have a certain percentage. And, and, you know, Matt doesn't owe us any answers on that. And it's okay to talk less. It's okay to be Belichick and say, you know, we'll see what happens. Um, Creating a false sense of, you know, hope for Darnold. I hope they're not doing that. I just think they they understand they got to keep him on the roster. It serves them well to get him as prepared as they can and cut out some of the the bad fundamental stuff that holds him back. And hopefully that's something he can improve upon. But again, after four years of tape, and I try hard to be unbiased here, it lingers in your mind that, okay, how many guys, despite, you know, hey, McCaffrey's hurt. Okay, fine. Offensive line sucks. Fine. In clean pockets, Darnold has had some issues there. Now, in in practice, I don't have anything to critique him on necessarily. I mean, when you get up to New England here in a couple weeks and they do some joint practices with the Pats, and I would assume in the preseason you'll see Sam get some reps, then you'll start to see, okay, live game. You get a good look at the All-22. How are the feet? How are the eyes? Has been throughout this entire OTA process – has McAdoo and Sean Ryan put a dent in any of that? Because I'm I'm going to be real blunt with you here. Everybody's got a hand in this $18 million blunder. And it's not the end of the world. But damn it, if you want to be a top-flight, world-class football team, those are the things you got to learn from. To their credit, they got Baker for pennies on the dollar almost. And we forget what a crazy cycle all this has been, but picking up the fifth-year option, whether they had to or not, making the deal in the first place was high risk. They were sick of Bridgewater. That was probably from the owner. And they moved on, and and they tried for a number of guys. We're here now. We don't want to harp too much. I'm just saying you cannot make those kind of mistakes anymore. You can't. We all kind of knew Sam Darnold was a very high-risk guy. And I don't know what the conversation was within the building. Was it, okay, you've got seven years. In year two, let's play around with this. Uh, windows close fast with these players. And I think Brule, if he didn't get that before, and I can't get in his head, he, he's been more on point, and it's not because of the weight loss. <laughs> he does look, you know, sharp. He's looking a little less... Uh, like uh, he's been hitting the Pringles can, and I, I need to go on a diet myself, so who knew? Who knew? Uh, I will say that I, I think Rule, with the confidence of knowing that he's got some NFL guys around him. Look, I could go back and say, well, why the fuck did you not do this in 2020? Well, part of what you get when you hire from the college ranks is you want to bring your people with you. That's a David Tepper issue. David Tepper made the decision to, with Marty Herney in tow, to go all in for a guy he thought is going to be, in time, one of the special coaches in this league. Not just a good coach, decent coach. Tepper, I guarantee you, thought, okay, I'm going to be the one here that finds this guy, gives him the big deal, six, seven highest paid contract, straight out of Baylor, one year of NFL experience, and I'm going to be the one that has the Matt Rule experience and turning him into the next Bill Parcells. I'm pulling for Matt, the coach, and the man. I've never had a problem with the guy. Never. 
I've disagreed with some of his perspectives on things. I'm more than entitled to do that. But I hope it works out for him because for this organization, whether you like Matt Rule or not, it's there's no guarantees with this ownership group, with all the tumult, if you will, with Charlotte FC. You know, Fitterer's there, Dan Morgan's there. Who knows? I, I have nothing to indicate that Dan Morgan's on his way out, but he is an up-and-coming GM who interviewed with the Steelers, didn't get that job, but he will be a general manager at some point. So you're going to start to have some turnover there. If Rule doesn't work out, if he wins six games, they fire him. Do you trust Scott Fitterer and David Tepper to find competency? Or does it, without tampering, do they just throw the most money they can on earth to Sean Payton and hope he takes it? That's a little sidebar soliloquy. To the practice side of things, once again, it was great to see Robbie Anderson snag a touchdown pass. You know, look, I, I think with Robbie is a very, I think, a complex guy in a lot of ways. Uh, people pick on him about his Twitter feed, whatever. I think he's actually a pretty insightful guy and, and really tries to, you know, expound on some things that are on his mind. And he was very, I guess not very, but he was somewhat of a, <laughs> a horse's ass, if you will, about the Baker Mayfield news with the no thing on uh, Insta. And they connected pretty well today. So, I'm hoping for Robbie he can get some of the swagger and the the emotional sort of uh, compass back for him that he had some uh, in, in 2020. He hates losing. He's lost his entire career, and no fault of his own really at times. Last season was a hot mess, folks. So when you try to assign blame to one individual, Robbie had a lot of drops. Oh, okay, he did. Look who's throwing the football. A platoon of guys who have a, a litany of issues. P.J. Walker, good athlete, not very accurate. Cam Newton, you know, obviously can run for 15 touchdowns, can still make some throws, but there's limitations there too. Lack of continuity as well. Sam Darnold, not very accurate on the perimeter to the outside, gets sacked a lot. That's the line's fault. You can see where Robbie is looking at this and saying, I had Teddy Bridgewater here. Feed me 85, 90 targets. I've got 1,000 yards and what y'all doing bringing Sam back into the mix? So, again, that's behind us to a certain degree. Uh, I don't want to overstate this. Somebody on Twitter told me earlier, how can you say with, you know, any sort of, uh, you know, certainty that this is still not a neck-and-neck competition? Well, I, I can't, but I think it would be fairly insane that the team persisted with Mayfield and chewed down the price on his price tag to the very end to bring him in as a veteran option on a one-year affordable deal if the intent was not to take the one quarterback on this roster who has actually taken a team to a winning season with good metrics behind that 30-ish touchdowns about 15 picks that year went into Pittsburgh did his job got a playoff win with that offense I don't think it's a stretch to say that Mayfield gives you some sense of hope on the general scale without even looking at, you know, training camp practice. And again, you got to scrub that out when you do the deep dive on what's happening on the field. But on the general sense of where they are in a quarterback room perspective, Darnold has yet to prove at all that he can elevate things around him when they're not ideal. And it's okay. That's just the, 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 the situation he has been in. 
It's unfortunate, but there were question marks about Sam's consistency and mechanics and, and habits coming out of USC. Mayfield, I do like watching him practice. I like the energy. I, I just get, again, Jake DeLome kind of vibes there. Maybe it's a cheap comparison, a cheap comp, but you come up with one better. Uh, I, I don't think Mayfield is a terrible individual. I do think, you know, hey, there's people that are turned off by the guy, some swagger, some cockiness, maybe, you know, grabbing your crotch ain't a great move. But uh, he's here, and I, I think in some ways this turned out to be more fortuitous for Carolina than I could have imagined because, once again, you got a labrum issue that seems to be on the mend now. The labrum, as we talked with Mark Schofield, who has suffered this injury, and he was a quarterback in college at the great institution of Wesleyan, Bill Belichick's alma mater, by the way, we talked about with Schofield, who knows quarterback play. A left labor injury for a right-handed quarterback is no joke. Baker tried to play through it. The echo chamber of sports talk garbage. Uh, and I call strikes and balls here, folks. I, I will tell you this. One guy around the league, a scout known for a long time, said, John, it, with, with Mayfield, it's some of the same bullshit that Newton ran into. That you, you just are, are constantly chasing this shadow that sort of lingers over you. Now, neither are victims. I'm not saying that, but there is a narrative that gets driven in by, you know, the Skip Baylesses. I don't know if Skip's even a Baker fan. I don't give a shit. But the the, the usual, uh, the hot take servants, the hot take chefs that I despise, but I, I have to account for them because they do drive these narratives. And I'm hopefully here to give you what I feel is a more fair perspective for normal people who think normal thoughts. I don't think Baker's a dirtbag. All right, he's a little cocky. He's, you know, maybe Billy from Stranger Things vibes sometimes. <laughs> but I'm not worried about his attitude issues. I, I'm more worried about does the labrum injury heal? Is it is it okay? And get him in there early, man. Get him in there against Cleveland. He's got a chip on his shoulder. He plays well with a little emotional, you know, chip on that shoulder. I think it could be an effective year for Baker. It's just going to have to be the obvious stuff we talked about. He had good supporting pieces around him, a healthy offensive line when it wasn't in 2019. He got sacked a lot. He threw a lot of interceptions, but he still had a fair amount of touchdowns. It wasn't a total shit show. The thing is, we can't keep obsessing about McCaffrey. I, I keep going through this with you guys. There is a likelihood, and it's just the way math works here, that Christian McCaffrey is a running back a la Derrick Henry last year, a la Christian McCaffrey last year, unless your name is Jonathan Taylor. If you're going to get about 20, 25 touches between the tackles and even in the slot, the chance somebody's going to land on you a certain way and you're going to miss a couple weeks, maybe more. You hope not. But, you know, McCaffrey's only real full foray into start to finish as the main bell cow was 2019. And, and all due respect to his a uh, Amazing season that year. The back end of that season was Perry Fuel calling checkdowns from Kyle Allen and Will Greer, and and McCaffrey was basically just gobbling up, <laughs> gobbling up targets like Pac-Man, and he got them all. I mean, good for him. But the point being here, you have to find a way to construct this offense, and I think they're on their way to do this. And I'll, I'll give you some ideas from camp here that I've seen to to support this. With McAdoo, it is much more of a 
it, you know, John Fox may be a, a dangerous comparison there, but it is definitely going to be more of a 50-50 type of run-to-pass balance team. That's what they need to be doing. I know some people on the analytics side of things might say, John, screw you, dude, you meathead. I, I'm just telling you, you have to walk before you can run. You have to crawl before you can walk. They had been crawling in a pile of shit for two years offensively on a quest for quarterbacks, on a quest for, you know, continuity at the offensive line. Even when Bridgewater had good numbers, the 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 end of the game stuff, you know, the, the late minute, two minute drill stuff was just terrible. And he had no confidence to push the ball. Uh, the, the route concepts were, I guess, okay. Protection wasn't always great, but you knew when you were down by three or four points, Bridgewater, great guy, has overcome a lot, but damn. Was he like 0 for 5, 6, 7 that year? You just knew if you got down late and you start from your 20 to you know, 45, 50 seconds, you just turn the TV off. There ain't a fucking chance it's going to happen. DeLome gave you chances. DeLome pulled some shit. And it ain't just Steve Smith and it ain't just Moose. I talked to Zoki again today about this. Jim Zoki, who has been in the booth for every Panthers game, uh, since their inception. And we talked about Super Bowl 38. I watched this game last night with my son, a little history lesson. Jake had one of the most, two of the most beautiful passes, I think, in franchise history in that game. The first was from a split back formation early, uh, actually late in the second quarter. They responded to a Tom Brady drive, and you had Tyrone Poole, a very solid corner at the time, in man press coverage against Steve Smith. Jake recognized it. He takes about a three-step drop. The, the release is quick. The ball is in the air on a great trajectory, and it drops right in Steve Smith's bread basket right before halftime. Uh, the, the, the one that we'll never forget is the 85-yard touchdown to Masid Muhammad, where that was more of an out-of-structure, rolling left, corking it out. But again, the placement was perfect. I mean, these are things DeLome was able to do without getting his hand held. Without, at times, an offensive line. I mean, Todd Stussy had some moments that weren't great. Donnelly was pretty damn rock solid. Jeff Mitchell, okay, a good center up and down. Geno James, average guard, and Jordan Gross, very good right tackle. So it's not like you had the Hogs there. You had a pretty good offensive line. Jake had to do a lot of work on his own late in games. And I believe he had upwards of eight game-tying or game-winning touchdowns in 2003. That's what the team has been missing. And Mayfield, when you look at his track record, it hasn't been great in that department of late. I would think some of the dysfunction between him and Odell last year, both of whom can probably claim a little credit for that, maybe more Baker, if your argument is Odell was not wrong, I could give a shit. But the labor issue was there. I, I pulled some clips from 2020. 2019, 2018, where he had some game-winning drives where he was the elevator, if you will, in those drives against Buffalo, against Baltimore. You know, throws he's making against top-notch defenses that get his team in a position for a winning score. Bridgewater did none of that here. He did did it exactly. Let me tell you how many times Bridgewater did that, and he's a good guy, very solid quarterback. He did it exactly zero times in Carolina out of what, five, six, seven chances. The Denver game, the Kansas City game. We don't want to rehash it. I'm just trying to drive a point home. 
Newton comes back last year. And look, I'm not going to be unfair to Newton here. He had a good game against Washington, but this was, you know, something where I'm sure the team promised him reps. Uh, Maybe they rushed that a little bit. I I don't know what to make of Newton right now. I know he's probably not going to play here again. He's probably not going to play anywhere this year. Maybe he will. I don't know. You miss another camp. I mean, that's not great. But Newton didn't have the Midas touch when it came to some of the deep ball acumen that we're talking about here. Sam has got a decent arm, and he can throw out of the pocket. But Sam was putting some of the nine routes on the boundary, the, the just the go routes, either two or three feet left or out of bounds. It, the accuracy was an issue there. It wasn't necessarily underthrows, overthrows. Teddy, it was consistently underthrow, underthrow, underthrow. Kyle Allen, same type of deal. So, uh, again, not peddling in too much as Anish Shroff calls it, the hopium. But when you, you see Baker Mayfield and it's not the star power, it's not the progressive commercials, it's the guy when you watch how he operates, there's some acumen there, there's some competency there that honestly this team has not had in a while because as much as you want to bash Baker, some of the national media out there, Baker had the rookie record for touchdown passes in 2018. Baker threw for 30 touchdowns in a playoff season in uh, 2020 in a pandemic. Uh, I think this is about the best you can do, given the fact you tried for Watson, Stafford, uh, several others, maybe Russell Wilson, who knows. So we'll see. There's another practice tomorrow, and they'll be splitting reps. Matt Corral, once again, I'm more interested in watching how Matt Corral operates in these preseason games. But Corral, once again, is a fun one to watch. That's all I can tell you. He's fun to watch in terms of his quick release. Scott Fowler walked by, the veteran sports columnist for the Charlotte Observer, who's, I believe, covered 28 Panthers camps now, number 28. I think he's been to all of them. I asked him, I said, Scott, have you seen a a release like that from a Panthers quarterback ever? Not that it's great or bad. I've never seen in my memory bank a release quite that compact and quick and there's no real comp to it i'm sure you guys can think of maybe aaron Rodgers. uh you can think of uh some of the throws that mahomes can make from those platforms but i do like watching him work and it's going to be fun to watch him develop and he's got a good attitude baker's working well with him sam is is you know for all about Sam, he's not pouting. He's not being an asshole about it. Maybe that speaks to his lack of competitive fire. Some would say that who are skeptical. I seem to think that Sam is just a low-key, cool customer who plays off of those emotions and probably would not be his best if he had piss and vinegar in his veins. <laughs> like, like Baker, who when he threw the touchdown today, by the way, to Robbie on the post route, again, a great throw. I could hear him back there dropping S-bombs, screaming. It was Baker's voice. Had some of that DeLome rage in him. I'm okay with Baker right now. Uh, Defensively, here's something you cannot really tell from a vantage point of where I was at camp. And I think one thing that will serve me well is if I get myself some binoculars, sit up on the hill tomorrow and actually try to diagnose what's going on in the offensive line versus the defensive front. Because you saw once again, McCaffrey did have some gaping holes, particularly on the right side with Moten. And you got a combination of guys who play that left edge position. It could be LeFou. It could be, at times, uh, Brian Burns will move there. I do not know who got mauled on this one. But obviously, there was some good movement there. 
and I think you just got to keep an eye on this defensive front because you do not have the Quan Jones anymore. Morgan Fox was a very effective sort of two-way defensive tackle, good pass rusher, good run anchor there. Uh, you and you're running into a situation where now it is going to be the Frankie Lavu show on the edge, and I love it. But I also have concerns about it when you're talking about setting the edge on the outside. The emphasis with Phil Snow's defensive fronts in, in I would say, more of a base concept. We, we, again, we've talked about it being a 404 tight type of front, which is why I would think a Danny Shelton or a, at least a serviceable nose tackle would be ideal because the 404 in that number, the zero is zero technique, which is the nose tackle right over the center. You need a, you know, a four technique, four technique, and a zero technique. Sometimes it's 505. Basically, you are trying to squeeze and set sort of a tempo and a directional foundation for running lanes there and just clog it up. And you want to bounce running backs to the outside. That's the purpose of having two brute defensive ends who can get on the line. And I would imagine in this situation, your your end, your technical ends would be Derek Brown, Ioannidis, and of course your nose tackle would be Bravian Roy at this point. You squeeze and, and you hold the inside and you get these guys to bounce out where you have burns, where you have uh, obviously Lavu. Uh, in some situations you're going to have other edge guys. And then Jeremy Chin, who will be in the strong safety position to be able to fly down and support. That's the idea behind the construct of what Phil Snow runs. There's a lot more to it than that. That's a basic sort of explainer. When you see the team in a three-man front and are running down, it's it's not like playing Madden. They're not ushering in a gap. They're trying to put big men on the line so the smaller, more athletic guys off the line or off the edge can run free and it, it works at times but teams can figure out a way to exploit that and they can run wide zone and they can start carving up the soft edge now is jason pierre paul or the now signed carlos dunlap with the chiefs or are those the answers to everybody's prayers no nor do i think it's an absolute calamity right now but again just from the little bit i saw today the line which is rotating guys in again we saw michael jordan in the mix at one point, we saw Ike Aquanu at first team left tackle. Um, Cade Mays as well, who's a big Greg Cosell guy. Cade Mays did a good job today. Uh, the offensive line is beating the front to a degree in the run game. To that point, you can't really get an assessment in the pass game because you can't touch the quarterback. And once they turn the corner in the pass rush, you know, 11 on 11, 7 on 7, you're pretty much seeing guys pull up the brakes there and they don't want to get hurt. They don't want to trip over the quarterback. Preseason games will give you a better barometer, but the run game, you can really get a sense, and I'm going to give you as much detail on it tomorrow as I can. In pads, you can really get a sense of how an offensive line can dictate versus a defensive line and vice versa. And I'm going to be fascinated to see that because Carolina's offensive line is very much above average at this moment as constructed as they are healthy. And this defensive front, some new pieces. And I like Brian Burns. Brian Burns wants to get, you know, the double-digit sacks. And I think he's got to chase that. But Burns, one of the essential parts of his job, and he knows this. Shit, he knows it. He's a pro. Is making sure that you have enough in your repertoire, in your toolbox, to be the complete edge player. To be able to set that edge. Inconsistent at times there. 
Same with Reddick. Reddick came out and said, oh, I'm, I'm a great edge setter. Well, there were times where it wasn't that great. It, we're just going to have to see how this goes. I think you have to be realistic. The secondary is very good. It's very good. Good safeties. You've got Woods in the mix. You've got other options. And I'm loving the fact, again, Horn was sort of limited today. They talked about day-to-day moving forward. Uh, Keith Taylor was out today. He'll be back, I think, in a couple of weeks. But think about the the options you have now. With Horn getting healthy, who, by the way, played a lot of slot last year, played on the outside. He can do it all. A.J. Bouye no longer with the team, getting a little older, but a good slot corner. Now you have Horn who can rotate inside if you would like to keep another corner on the outside. This is where the C.J. Henderson trade thus far from my initial observations, and no, it's not just because he actually has a cornerback number with 24 now. He looks good. He looks physical. He's fast as shit. And you've got something to work with here. In a division where, you, I mean, look at what New Orleans has added at receiver. Same goes for Atlanta, and, and we know what Tampa's got. You're going to have to have some guys who are dogs, and they can lock down. We know J.C.'s like damn glue. C.J.'s physical, man. There's some inconsistencies, but he's got a lot of talent. And Steve Wilkes is a big part of this. You've got one of the best defensive back coaches of our generation in Wilksy, coaching up J.C. Horn, C.J. Henderson, a, a couple former top 10 picks, by the way, Dante Jackson, another relatively high pick and great prospect out of LSU. And then the, the surprise to many, but not to me, is Miles Hartsfield. Miles was a guy that was brought in by Rule, and, and Hartsfield can do a lot of things for you. I think he could even be at some time, at the juncture they were kind of pitching him as a running back at camp. He's got good nickel corner size at 5'11", made a good play today in coverage. I believe it was on Zilstra. And he had some good reps last year in that uh, very bad season finale against Tampa where Brady was playing. The starters were in there. Hartsfield did some good work in those final few weeks, and that's what you want to see. He's a very competent nickel corner. Fits the run well, doesn't uh, fear about <laughs> being a force defender in that department. Will stick his nose in there and make a good tackle. And then again, you got young guys, Kenny Robinson today with an interception, Stanley Thomas Oliver, uh, of course, Keith Taylor, who will be back in action soon. You start to look at some of the other guys, Madre Harper, uh, Sean Chandler at safety, who can play some slot as well. And then you look at what's going on in the safety room, I mean, once again, you've got, and Robinson, by the way, just for clarity, is a safety. Uh, Rashawn Melvin is no longer with the team. He did retire. Uh, Chin is, you know, obviously from what I can see in terms of their alignments, very much, you know, locked into that strong side safety, for the lack of a more complicated way to explain it, strong side safety spot to where when you have the closed side of the field, which is the strong side, a tight end or a fullback on one side, Chen will be on that side typically. Now, that's not to say it won't be multiple, but I think he's going to settle into that role and, and give you some, I, I don't want to go so far as to say Palomalu vibes. They were pretty <laughs> liberal with allowing Palomalu to run free, but he's got the athleticism to be that guy, more like Atwater, you know, his, his uncle. So by the way, if you guys don't know uh, Jeremy Chin, if you forgot, his uncle is the great Steve Atwater, one of the hardest hitters ever from Denver. 
back in the day. And that's what you do. You have to have the run support. But the ability also to cover, and this is where Chen keeps getting a little better here, you're going to see some tight ends that need to lock down. you got to have a safety to do it at times. Uh, Xavier Woods, I don't have a whole lot on him on my notes here. Uh, you're going to have to bear with me on that, but I think he will eventually, I, I would imagine, I mean, surprises happen, but he's a veteran that has a pretty good track record. Give it some time here with camp. You might see some highlights and some news on number 25, Xavier Woods. But if he's not going to be the guy at free safety, uh, obviously Kenny Robinson is more than capable in year two or year three, I believe now, of being the guy. Sean Chandler is a Matt Rule favorite uh, and a pretty darn good player. Kalon Barnes, I've not seen a lot of the rookie, number 35. He's probably the fastest guy in Spartanburg County right now. We'll keep an eye on some of these guys. But number 38, Miles Hartfield, uh, is a guy that I, I think can, and again, hyperbole being what it is, let's be careful, can emerge as the bedrock nickel corner if they need him to because he's very good in that role. He understands route concepts, two-way options there, option routes, anything that can happen. And when you play a Tom Brady team, you need a slot corner that can uh, gobble up some of those little five-yard hitches and option routes. So on that front, that's a good primer as far as what we saw today. Matt Rule, once again, in his post-game, post-practice, I should say, Presser did mention that there's going to be a division of labor, if you will, in terms of reps for the top two quarterbacks for this team, Baker Mayfield, Sam Darnold. Uh, We will continue to watch tomorrow a number of areas. We're going to get back into the special teams. I've not had a great chance of this point to get a perspective on how the return game is looking. It's hard to tell at practice, but I do want to get a glimpse of how Zane's looking in the kicking game. Hey, we got a long snapper battle. Don't forget. How funny would it be? I I told Billy on Texas that if, if Chris Tabor puts his foot down and says, you are not cutting J.J. Jansen. You're not. And I don't know what you want to do with Fletcher. Uh, he's a good kid, but <laughs> J.J. stays. We'll see what happens there. Uh, good punter and Johnny Hecker. I doubt they're going to practice much trickery in public with all the cameras out. I doubt that. But if something funky comes up, we'll show you. And I certainly want to see Andre Roberts returning kicks. Chuba Hubbard, haven't heard much from him. We'll give you some updates on Chuba and where he fits into the running back mix again. It's McCaffrey and, you know, this very capable running back in DeAndre Foreman. Dante Foreman, I should say. Been a long day, folks. <laughs> uh, I think that's your one-two punch. And you go with that and you allow yourself to run some 21 pony where McCaffrey is in certain areas of the field, whether it's the weak side split, whether it's split wide to the strong side, whether he is in the, quote, slot position. Uh, you've seen times where McCaffrey's been lined up at fullback in front of Jonathan Stewart. I'm not saying you got to get crazy here, but Shula was not exactly, you know, throwing out <laughs> the the most innovative stuff, but his run schemes were top-notch for the personnel they had. I think it's going to be important for McAdoo and James Campen to get that all buttoned up here. Uh, standouts from camp today, once again, uh, I thought Robbie Anderson was great, uh, made an outstanding play, on that ball, competitive fire. Zilstra, again, we we made some remarks about him. He did have a drop early on in drills there. Made some good plays coming back. C.J. Saunders is a guy who's fighting for a spot right now on this roster. Obviously wants to make things happen. Um, and frankly, Vu, you know, 49 on the edge. 
making a play and intercepting a Mayfield pass, that was good to see. I'm not going to go all in on Mayfield and say he had the best practice ever, folks, but Mayfield, from my eye, and you can trust it or you can leave it, I I don't have a a, a ledger of how many times I've been wrong or right, but I, I trust my instincts and my eye for this stuff. Mayfield has some tangible and intangible qualities that you can feel in the huddle when they break the huddle, and there's it's a tempo element. It's not urgency in the sense of, oh, hurry up, oh, we're, we're screwed here. It's a confidence issue that has been woefully lacking from each of the last two quarterbacks this franchise has gone out and overpaid for. And it's the same kind of confidence Newton had in what I will say was his prime. And I do think that Mayfield gives you, along with Matt Corral, by the way, some energy, some enthusiasm. And it's not insignificant as long as that's who you are and you play to that. Um, It all comes down to wins and losses, production. We'll see very soon as the preseason does kick off. Coming up here at Washington against our old friend Ron Rivera. August 13th, 1 1 p.m.? Ah, God, oh, shit, man. A 1 p.m. preseason kickoff on August 13th. I'm not digging that. 1 p.m. I like the night games, man. August 13th is, by the way, a Saturday 1 p.m. game. All right, well, you got to play them where they lie. August 19th, the Panthers travel to beautiful Foxborough. And another preseason game to House of Horrors potential where I honestly would Take every player that is of value to you and drive them about 50 miles to the west in Massachusetts and park their asses in a motel and don't let them out until you fly home. (laughs) That damn field in the preseason has given one particular star quarterback for this franchise some of the worst fits of his career. 2014, injured on that field, affected him early in the season and throughout the season. And, of course, the Liz Frank injury just... Don't make that the game where you go all balls in because you come back home on your trusty AstroTurf on August 26th, 7 o'clock kickoff, preseason game number three against the Buffalo Bills. The Buffalo Bills, a team that came down here to Spartanburg back in 2019 and put a whooping on this team and joined practices. Those are the games you look for. And, you know, I'm kidding about the Patriots thing, but honestly put a few guys on the shelf for that one. Want to see these guys get the reps in the games. But until then, we've got another uh, week of practice here. we got a Hall of Fame game coming up, baby. Got the Jags. Panthers should have been in that game, by the way, with Sam Mills going in. And I'm looking forward, to, as, as you guys are as well, and we'll continue to honor Sam and his legacy throughout the week with some sound bites and stuff on one Panther play, some old clips. Sam Mills, posthumously uh, one of the great linebackers of our era and one of the great men uh, of the NFL is going to be enshrined, uh, his legacy is, into the Hall of Fame with his beautiful family. And, uh, you know, good for Sam Mills III, a guy who was on this staff for a long time who carried that key pounding torch. And I just hope this team, and I don't put this as much on the head coach as I do on the entire organization, I hope this would be a good reminder this weekend to maybe just take a step back, and, and whether you admit it or not, Stop trying to regenerate your own branding because it's not going to be anything as good 
are memorable or nostalgic-driven, it makes you feel good in that stadium to say keep pounding and to chant it and to actually have the stadium operations people have the opportunity to lead the chant. Don't make it a marginal piece. Make it the centerpiece. Because I'm telling you, I've seen owners come in before, and I'm not accusing this one of anything. I hope David Tepper understands, and I hope he cares, that Sam Mills meant a lot to so many people, not only in the fan base, but in the media, in in the organization itself, even people that are still with this team, still with this organization. Go ask Steve Wilkes what keep pounding means to him from the time he was here. Go ask Dan Morgan, the assistant general manager. Again, not complaining, not bitching here. I'm just saying, I'm hoping when we return together to Bank of America Stadium here in a few weeks, we see an atmosphere and feel an atmosphere that feels a little less like, I don't know, Biff Tannen's casino from Back to the Future 3 and something that resembles, at least atmospherically, the middle of last decade in that stadium where it was not overcooked. The music was at a good level, and key pounding was front and center. It's tradition, man, and I'll stand by that, and I won't apologize for it. On that note, let's end on a positive one here. Tomorrow, 1030, I believe, is the practice time for the Carolina Panthers. We are planning on being back there live for you, and we will do this same exercise here going through some of the highs and lows of camp once again today. Some good stuff from Baker Mayfield Decent reps, uh, again, for Sam Darnold. Nothing objectionable. Uh, And Corral, once again, working sort of in between reps here. P.J. Walker, I I don't know if he's got much of a chance to make the team. McCaffrey looks good, as always. The offensive line is mauling. That's good to see. D.J. Moore, limited touches, but still in the mix. And again, it's good to see Robbie Anderson get a big play with, with his new quarterback, Baker Mayfield. Little full thing, but it means a big, big deal. It means a lot. I really do think so. With a guy like Robbie, a guy like Baker, two guys that have some emotions and can be a little bit awkward at times, for them to connect on a big route in perfect stride could be a good omen. Billy Marshall is back later this week. I'm John Ellis, live from Spartanburg. We'll see you guys tomorrow for another training camp edition of the Roar Podcast. Have a great night. It's happening daily. We're being conned by the institutions we used to trust. The mainstream media is distracting us with meaningless headlines instead of focusing on the harsh realities facing American families. Time is short before something big happens, and that's why so many folks are preparing. They're becoming self-reliant by investing in emergency food storage from My Patriot Supply. Go to MyPatriotSupply.com and secure four-week emergency food kits for each member of your family. Each kit contains tasty breakfasts, lunches, and dinners, averaging over 2,000 calories per day. Save $50 on each four-week food kit you purchase. Plus, get free shipping on Ready Hour four-week emergency food kits. You're not ready if it's not Ready Hour foods. At My Patriot Supply, you can also get solar power generators, water filtration units, heirloom seeds, and survival gear. Order by 3 p.m., and your unmarked boxes ship the same day. Shop MyPatriotSupply.com today. MyPatriotSupply.com